Hey, it's Palm Sunday, and it's also Master's Sunday, but Palm Sunday is more important, right? And um, not waving a flag, it's waving a palm branch is what we remember. And so if you're new to faith or you're new to uh, church or even a, a calendar that, that matches what, what happened this week, Palm Sunday is the day uh, before Easter, the Sunday before Easter, and it marks the day that Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And um, a couple years ago, a number of us, I keep telling you this, and I just, um, is, until I run out of pictures, I'm going to keep showing you some pictures. So we were up on the hillside. Um, it's a little wonky, the, the angle, but this is overlooking Jerusalem. We're on the Mount of Olives across uh, the Kidron Valley. And so what would have taken place on Palm Sunday is Jesus would have uh, gotten on a donkey and rode down this side of the mountain, so where all of these graves are, um, he would have ridden down uh, the pathway, and then through the Kidron Valley, which is down at the, the bottom where the grass is, and then it's a pretty steep climb, you can't really tell, but pretty steep climb back up on the other side into the city of Jerusalem, and a uh, number of things make this significant for the Christian faith. And like I said, if you're new, it's okay, because sometimes we go through the, the rhythms of Christianity and we don't even know what we're celebrating. And Palm Sunday, uh, one of the things that's so interesting to me, I'm going to give you just a few things this today to try to get you to chew on something this week, okay? Are you with me? So maybe w one or two things might jump out at you. So as Jesus rode into the city... Uh, they waved palm branches, and these palm branches, then they laid down in front of Jesus as he, as he came into the city. And the reason they did this is not because they really wanted a Savior like Jesus was going to be a Savior. They wanted political freedom from the Roman Empire. Does that make sense? And so they thought Jesus was coming to give them political freedom freedom over the Romans who they hated, and they were pumped. And five days later, they were yelling, crucify him, because Jesus wasn't bringing what they wanted. And so maybe something we need to think about this week, something I need to think about, is how quickly I turn away from Jesus when he doesn't give me what I want. Ooh. But I don't want to get into your business. That's just for me. <laughs> because sometimes I think I know what I need more than Jesus knows what I need. And so Palm Sunday, we wave the palm branches. We get all excited as he rides into town, and it's a quick turn. Jesus knows um, that he's going to be put to death. What's, the other thing that's interesting, and this is just some for those of you who like to nerd out, um, Passover happens to be the week that Jesus rides in uh, to Jerusalem. And you remember Passover celebrated uh, when, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt and out of captivity. And uh, they remember they took blood from a lamb and they marked it over the doorways and, and the angel of death would pass over their house. That's how they got the name Passover. And so every year the Jewish people would celebrate Passover. And this today... Palm Sunday was Lamb Selection Day, the day that Jews would traditionally pick out the lamb that they would take with them that then they would put to death and celebrate Passover with. 
And it just so happens Jesus comes into town on Lamb Selection Day, which is just mind-blowing how all of it kind of fits together. So that's Palm Sunday. That's the day that, that, that we mark and we enter into Holy Week. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't have a journal, I think we still have a few journals available. Um, but on page 76 and 77 this week, uh, if, you, if you track with the journal, you'll have a daily, kind of a, a daily path to go through and, and look at some of the things that Jesus did this week as it leads up to his crucifixion and then ultimately his resurrection. And just to keep our eyes on, the, on, on what's going on, Jesus goes to the cross and becomes the final sacrifice for all of us, which includes you. But he doesn't stop there. He is resurrected out of the grave. Next week, we're going to celebrate this. See, I get so pumped. I want to preach it today. He's resurrected out of the grave, which gives us hope for the future that nothing we face can overcome us. Jesus has already overcome all of those things. And you got to come back next week because I'm going to get pumped to, to talk about that. This week, I'm going to get into our business a little bit more because we're, we're going to kind of close out this Sermon on the Mount, walk this way. And I, I have three little pieces in this, the last uh, part of this sermon that I'm going to hit. And just one of them's for you. I don't know which one, but one of them's for you. And it might not be the same one for the person next to you. So I know we have these elbows. We like to wake people up next to us when we think what we hear is for them. But just pick out what's for you and let them pick out what's for them. Okay, are you ready? Three things that Jesus talks about, and I, I think all of them are profound. And um, to, to get there, uh, we've, we've been in this walk this way, and, and it started with this, that we are to be salt and light in the world, right? Which means we are to add some flavor. Come on, add some good flavor and preserve life. That's what we're to do as followers of Jesus, as Christians. Peace is, is what marks us. We're to be people not of anger and hatred, but there's this radical enemy love. This is the way, the best way to live life. As difficult as that is, we are to have uh, purity of heart and mind that we, it's not just about obeying the rules and doing the right things, but like digging in and rooting out selfishness and greed and lust and those things that, that dwell deep within us. And then there's this connection point with God called prayer that we have the opportunity, which can become a mantra to remind us to love God and love others. I'm just kind of walking really quickly through where we've been. Last week, Cameron, um, you know, talked about the idea of, of worry and trust. And I think one of the beautiful takeaways from that is that what we worry most about, like your biggest worries in life, reveal ultimately what you trust or who you trust. And that can be eye-opening for each one of us. So when we begin to pinpoint our worries, like our biggest worries, the, the, the things that we're constantly thinking about or anxious about, it helps us to know what we're really trusting. So then we get to this last little section of the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what Jesus said. And, and everybody in the world loves this first line. Here it is. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. We love that when we do something that we don't want other people to judge us by. You know what I mean? Don't judge me. I mean, I, don't, I know you probably have never said that, but maybe you've heard somebody say, don't judge me. Didn't Jesus say, don't judge, like, don't judge me. Don't judge others or you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. 
The standard you use in judging others is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, fascinating little teaching from Jesus. And on first take, it's like, yes, we love that. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. We're all good. But what does Jesus mean? Like, what is it that Jesus is referring to when he says, don't judge others? Because the word judge, even in the ancient language that we have here, the Greek, has a wide variety of meanings, just like the word judge has a wide variety of meanings for us today. For example, a judge is someone who sits and makes a decision, an informed decision about a case between two different perspectives, right? And so is Jesus saying we should have no judges in the world? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to. We make judgments or discernments about certain things. Some of us dream that one day we'll be able to judge eating contests. I would love to be the judge of the world's best barbecue. That would be fun. Is Jesus saying we should not judge barbecue against barbecue? I don't think Jesus is saying that. Jesus is all for barbecue. Okay, that's me. That's not the Bible. Don't go look for that. It's not in there. So let me ask you this. Do you think we should judge when it comes to putting teachers and coaches in place in our society, in our culture? Should we be judges? That's not a trick question. You can answer. Yes or no? Should we be judges? Yes, we should be wise and discerning when we put certain people in places. As a church, this is, you know, is this going against what Jesus said? We have every person who wants to work with children fill out a background check that then we run through the system to make sure they are appropriate in the right place to work with children. Do you think that's a good judgment to make? Yes. And I don't think Jesus is saying don't judge when it comes to who can be a teacher or who can be in the right places with children, right? So are you with me? So what then is Jesus saying when he says don't judge others? Well, when Jesus says don't judge, he's not suggesting that we set aside wisdom or discernment. He's not saying don't be discerning people, don't be wise people. What Jesus is doing is he's building his ethic of love, the foundation of love that we are to live as his followers, and he's saying don't condemn people, don't see people as if they are beyond God's reach of grace, don't see people as if they have no value as you set yourself in a position of superiority. And this, I believe, is common, common, common to our day and age today. And let me give you just some uh, examples that you can email me about later and tell me how mad you are. Cameron at McDowell.Church, email me all <laughs> you want. This is how we do it. Well, me... And, and my political party, Jesus stands with us against you and your political party because you have it wrong and we have it right. And it is obvious that Jesus stands with us. 
And what we do, and I told you I was going to make some of you mad. Some of you are about to throw something at me. Uh, what we do is we begin to view ourselves as being on the side of Jesus or Jesus being on, on our side in a position of superiority as opposed to them over there who we devalue because of maybe a perspective that is different than ours. Now, the same thing is happening, just so you know, on the other side of the aisle. I didn't start with like one political party or the other. Like I didn't say, you know, Republican and Jesus is with us on the Republicans. And I also didn't say, and Democrat, because Jesus is with us as Democrats. Because we all do this. No matter what side of the aisle you stand on or whatever circle you stand in, the tendency is to believe that Jesus is with us in this circle while putting other people in another circle and devaluing them based on what circle they're standing in. And I think this is where Jesus says, do not condemn, do not judge. The same way that you judge them, it's going to be held, you're going to be held to that same kind of standard. The way that you treat others will be the way that you're treated. So Jesus then, um, I told you, I, you know, it's one of those Palm Sunday is a happy day until I get into politics, and then it gets really quiet in the room. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So then Jesus, um, what he does is he uses a little bit of, of, of humor then to, to give us a picture of, of what judging is like, what, what it, we look like when we judge other people. And this is humorous. I mean, I think Jesus laughed, and I'm guessing the people around him laughed, and you can laugh too. And why worry about a speck or a piece of dust in your friend's eye when you have a log or a plank of wood hanging out of your own? Like, yeah, it's funny. Like, Jesus wants you to picture this. He, he wants you to get in your mind an image and he, and he says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Like Jesus is saying, you're, you're a hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to help with the speck in your friend's eye. Um, I, like I searched and searched for something to help me paint a picture so that we could have a picture in our minds. And I found this cartoon, which I kind of found funny. You'll probably think it's ridiculous, but it's, um, it's like this, ah, splinter, when he's got like a, a tree hanging out of his own eye. Um, and I think sometimes this is, is what, we, what we do. We, we judge one another and we pinpoint certain things while at the same time we have massive issues within our own lives. I think Jesus is wanting us to just be honest and, and look in the mirror and, and, and get face to face with who we really are before we try to help someone else. Now what's fascinating about this is Jesus uses the same substance it's a piece of sawdust and a log, same substance. Did Jesus say that the, the person that we're judging doesn't have an issue? Is that what he's saying, that it's not an issue? No, no, he's not saying that. Like, there's something there that probably needs to be addressed. 
But how we address it, you know, is one of humility and honesty and transparency in our own shortcomings before we enter into a conversation about how to help someone else. Does that make sense? Are you, are you still with me? Um, N.T. Wright is um, one, of my, one of my favorite current scholars, and he, he really helps me a lot of times to get my mind around some of these teachings. And th this is what he says, a couple things. Jesus is warning that the very people who seem most eager to tell others what to do or most likely what not to do are the people who should take a long look in the mirror before they begin. Like that's a, that's a good statement. It's a good, it's a good way to like think through this, this passage of do not judge. And um, as a pastor, um, you know, I've walked through many different situations with people and had many different conversations about certain um, issues or questions in life and how we live. And what I've found, and I say this um, really, hopefully, I hope you hear this in the way that I intend it. It's interesting to me that the people who are most vocal in judging other people for sin or, or brokenness in their lives are usually hiding something or working to, to hide something in their own life. That it really, like pointing out someone else's sin is a way of trying to escape really what they're dealing with. Does that make sense? And um, when, when, we ha when, when we are tempted to make blanket statements about a group of people or when we are tempted to point out someone's specific sin, I think the best thing that we can do is take a step back and humbly begin to reflect on our lives before we ever enter into that conversation. Does that, does that make sense? And I think Jesus is, is leaning in that direction. And, and then N.T. Wright continues, and he says, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't mean we shouldn't have high standards of behavior for ourselves or for our world. Like, that's not what Jesus is saying either. He's not giving license to do whatever we want to do and to allow everyone to do whatever they want to do. That's not what Jesus is saying either. Like, Jesus is saying that the temptation, when we see someone with a moral failure or something in their life, the temptation for us is to play God and condemn them. And that's what Jesus, when he's talking about judgment, that's what Jesus, I believe, that's what he's getting after. And it's so difficult in our world because we see so much. Not just in our daily lives, like out of the building here, but we see so much on social media, we tend to watch the news, and it becomes easy for us to begin pointing our finger at things and making judgments about things and ignoring the sin or the brokenness in our own lives. So Jesus says, don't, don't judge. Uh, Paul, one of the very first Christians in Romans, he's working all this out. He's trying to figure out how does faith and life, how does it come together, and what do we do with all of this? And um, he makes this list in Romans 1. If, if you read through, you know, Romans 1, 2, you know, he, he kind of builds this list out that seems like this really bad list, this evil list. 
And we read it oftentimes. We read Romans chapter 1 and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not you, but I've known people who, yeah, that's right. They're bad people or that or this or that. And then Romans chapter 2, sometimes we stop at the end of Romans chapter 1, and Romans chapter 2 begins with this statement. You may think you can condemn or judge such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the very same things. And what, what Paul is getting at, and I think he's building off the teachings of Jesus here, he's kind of digging in and kind of building around uh, this idea of how does this make sense in our, in our lives, is he's saying we tend to judge or point our fingers for certain things, and we have similar things, just different. And when we condemn others or write them off, we're actually writing ourselves off because we've got those things going on in our lives. They just look a little different. Are you still with me? Okay, so that's the first one. Maybe that's something for you to chew on this week. I actually think this is something that we all should chew on because I think we live in a, in a hyper-judgmental culture while ignoring the realities of our own lives. I just think it's, e it's become easy to do that, and I think um, we see it all over the place. Then Jesus says this, So do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets. So he talks about this idea of judging, and then he gets to this little place where he says, um, do to other, this is known as the what? Golden rule. Yes, it's the golden rule. And if you, if you read philosophy, uh, you, you can find this, or, or religion, you can find this in almost every world religion, something similar to this. But here's the difference. In most um, applications of this, or most of the teachings of this, even prior to Jesus, it's, um, it's on the negative side. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, which is the silver rule. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that you don't want done to you, don't do that to someone else. That's, that's what this teaching, that's kind of where this teaching comes from. But Jesus kind of turns it, and he says, actually, whatever you want someone to do to you, you should proactively love them in that way. You should be proactive, not just reactive. Oh, that's good. Jesus is telling us that we shouldn't just not do something to someone else that we don't want done to us, but we should actually proactively love them in the same ways that we want to be loved. That's a good teaching. Okay. One, and then there's that second one. And I begin to put all these together, and I started, I, I work it out. I do this sometimes. I just start writing stuff, and I try to find where it lands. And I started thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, no anger, no hate, no lust, no worry, now no judging, no condemning. Man, what a boring life. <laughs> Actively loving other people the way that we want to be loved. That sounds like it would be awesome, doesn't it? To live in a world, think about it, where there's no anger, no hate, there's no lust, there's no worry, there's no judgment or condemnation. People actively seek ways to love in the same ways that they want. Does that sound awesome? It sounds like heaven on earth. 
which is the point Jesus is trying to make. We all long for a better day, and Jesus is saying there is a way to get a better day. Like, stop hating people. Like, deal with your anger issues. I know, he's talking to me on Shay this time of year. I get it. There it is. No anger, no hate, no lust, no worry, no judging or condemning. And, and, and again, he's not talking about discernment or wisdom. He's talking about judging in terms of condemning people, lowering people, devaluing them while you are making yourself, putting yourself in a superior position. That's what he's talking about. Don't play God. Actively love others. I mean, it's like heaven on earth. So don't judge. Like actively do to others what you want done to you. And then this last little piece, he ends the whole sermon with this. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows them is wise. Like this is wisdom. And it's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Jesus says that if we if we begin to fashion our lives after his teaching, that it doesn't matter what experiences or circumstances we face in life, we will not be overcome. We will not be overcome. But it's predicated on us actually doing something with his teaching. And so here's the tough talk of the sermon. You ready? What are you going to do with all this? We've been talking for six weeks about the teachings of Jesus. And I'm talking to myself. I'm not just talking to you. I'm not acting. I hope you know I'm not acting as if I've got it all figured out because I don't. Like, all I need to do is just drive on Mountain View and I'll get it figured out. But I don't. I drive on Shea. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, the tough talk is like when the rubber meets the road, like are we going to do, are we going to work to build the kind of life that Jesus has laid out for us? Or are we going to sit in some seats and listen to the teachings of Jesus and begin to feel like, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't actually have to do anything. Am I going to put them into practice or not? Are you with me? Like that's, the tough, like, that's the tough piece, and that's where Jesus ends the entire thing. It's like, you know, I'm looking around the room, and I see different people who do different things in life. I have a friend here who for, his, for years has done stretching and physical training and those sorts of things. And listen, I've learned a lot about stretching and weightlifting and all the health stuff. I could, I could maybe even help some of you. But if I don't do anything with it, I'm going to stay inflexible and be out of shape. If I don't do anything with what I hear from my friend who does this for a living, I'm going to be in trouble. Are you with me? I can listen all day to a brilliant weight trainer. But if I never lift up a weight, my muscles are going to atrophy. And I'm going to continue to be the weakling I am today. I've got friends who are professional bike riders, cyclists. They're incredible. They race and they win. 
They've given me tips, but I don't even get on a bike anymore. It's, no, it's not any help if I don't get on the bike. I've got some people in the room who are incredible financial advisors. You know who you are. And you've got all these ways of helping us manage our money well, to set up budgets, to think about the future. All of these things are, are wise. If I listen to you and walk out of the room and ignore everything you said, I could end up in financial ruin. I might know all the right things, but if I don't do anything with it, it won't make any difference. Come on, church. We can listen to Jesus. We can read his teachings. If we just walk out the door and ignore everything he said, nothing in life will be different. And we'll end up scratching our heads and saying, why isn't this working? We got to do something with what he says. Either you listen and you build a life and you're wise or the opposite is true, Jesus says, or you listen to my teaching, you ignore them, and you're like the foolish person who builds on the shifting sand. And when the waves come and the storms rage, that house, your life, will be overwhelmed and it will fall. One or the other. That's why we named the series Walk This Way. Because either you walk this way or you walk that way. And the way you walk determines the destination of your life. Mm. So, you know, one of the best places for us to close out the series in this week as we walk into Holy Week, one of the best places for us to go is the table. When we talk about judgment and treating each other the way that we want to be treated, um, I think one of the best uh, places for us to take our minds and to physically go is to, to the, the Eucharist, the table, communion. Because communion, if we do it in the way that I think Jesus intended us, communion is the place where all of us are on a level playing field. We're all in need. None of us brings perfection to that table. Let me ask you this. If you, in this room right now, this might scare some of you, if your uh, greatest regrets, if your biggest secrets, if, if your areas of shame were exposed for all of us to see, like, that's overwhelming, isn't it? Like, if, if my greatest struggles, the things I don't think anyone else knows, like, if it, if it was exposed, oh, my gosh, that's overwhelming to me. At the table, that's exactly what happens. But it's met not with condemnation. It's met with grace and love and compassion and faithfulness again and again and again. It's why, it's why we have communion set up every week for us. It's because it's so important to come to the table, to be reminded, not, not to like fix our minds on where we fall short, but to be reminded of where Jesus fills the gaps for our sin, our shame, our shortcoming.
the very thing that sets us right with God is not our perfection, it's his sacrifice. That's the table. And Jesus invites everyone to the table. It doesn't matter your sin, your shame, your secret, your brokenness. None of that matters. Jesus says, come to the table and taste of the forgiveness. Taste of the grace and the love of your heavenly Father known in his sacrifice, in Jesus' sacrifice. So we're going to um, sing a portion of this next song called Who You Say I Am. And um, as we sing, if you didn't get the communion elements, you can slip back and grab them. And then we're going to take communion together as a community today. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and just hold on to the elements. Um, halfway through this song, we'll, I'll step back up and we'll take it together. So God, we, we gather at the table where we all uh, fall short where we all are in need, where we're all broken, we come to that table. And it's at that table we find and we taste your forgiveness, your grace, your love. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name.